Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. chapter 6 and I would like to begin uh, in verse 1 the Bible says and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that were fair and they took them wives all of which they chose the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men, of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I'd like for you to skip down to verse 13. The Bible says, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, and the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. I want you to um, not do sometimes what I do, and that is when I hear a preacher read a text like that, I think I've heard that before, and... 
sometimes we forget that there can be very fresh truths brought from old stories. And so I want you this morning uh, on this Father's Day, um, I want to preach to you about a man that built an ark. And let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here today. Lord, I am thankful for your presence. I am thankful, Lord, for your word. Lord, we're always honored when we meet together and sense, Lord, your presence. I pray, Lord, that for the next little while, Lord, that your word would, Lord, as Paul prayed, that it would have free course among us. Lord, help us, God. And I've asked you this before. Help us to receive, Lord, the engrafted word with meekness. I pray, Lord, today, God, especially for our fathers. Lord, if ever there was a generation that needed, Lord, not only fathers, but grandfathers and great-grandfathers, Lord, it's this generation. I pray, Lord, today, God, that you bring us stability, Lord, to every man in this sanctuary this morning. Help us, God, to never, ever underestimate Lord, the power and the strength, God, that we have as fathers. Help us, Lord, to stand valiantly, God, with you. And I pray, Lord, that you help us, God, to stand against this world which would attack, Lord, our families, which would attack our wives, which would attack our children and our grandchildren. I'm asking you, Lord, today, God, help us, Lord, as men, to understand, God, the priority, Lord, of our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> Two men that pastored churches in the great city of London in England in the 1600s, specifically the 1650s and following, these two men were very much respected in London and not only in London but throughout the entire countryside and even sometimes extending beyond the borders of the country of England. These revered pastors in 1663 began uh, to preach a judgment that was somewhat uncommon uh, to both of those men's ministries. And at first, people uh, began to scratch their head and began to wonder what has happened uh, to these two men. And, and then it was not too long after they continued to hear the messages of judgment that they uh, moved to somewhat of a consternation. And then after that, it began to evolve and turn into a very deep-seated anger that these people began to have toward these two ministers. These mad clergymen, they thought, had taken leave of their senses. And why was it that these men had now suddenly turned toward a dark theme such as judgment and that the Lord was going to judge London? It was so out of character for both of those men. In fact, they were looked at as, as very godly and reverent men. And if there is one thing that, that marked their ministries, it was the fact that they were 
uh, considered scholars, and that was not in a highbrow way that uh, they would sense that that people wouldn't that they were looking down on people, but it was just a proficiency they, that they had with the scriptures that caused people to believe what these two men were saying. And so it was that John Owen, who was one of those ministers, wrote close to 20 volumes of material that still has remained preserved even until this day. And I have uh, 17 volumes of his writings in uh, my own personal library. And the other man was a man by the name of Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter did not write as much as what John Owen did, but I do have some of the works of Richard Baxter, which is pretty remarkable that their writings have remained in print now for close to three, a little more over than 350 years. And you may not be familiar with either of these men, but you're probably familiar with a statement that one of these men made. One of them said, I preach like a dying man to dying men. That was Richard Baxter, and he preached that during uh, 1666 whenever there was a great plague of smallpox that swept through that city of London. London at that point was at the height of its financial prosperity. And whenever you begin to look at what was taking place at London during that time, it was almost as if London was the greatest power in the world at that particular place. So, so why was it that, uh, that Richard Baxter and that, that John Owen would begin to preach judgment? It was because they began to look back in the word of God and they began, they didn't have dreams or visions. They merely looked at the scriptures and specifically they looked at the book of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter one and then in Isaiah chapter five of how you began to read about how that uh, Israel at that time was was a very sick nation and, and the judgment of the Lord was coming in their direction and so John Owen and Richard Baxter began to familiarize themselves with the book of Isaiah and even some of the other minor prophets and yet whenever uh, they were beginning to call London to repentance they did not respond to that call there. In fact whenever the smallpox epidemic brought London to its knees they still did not repent. And then in the middle of the night, September the 2nd, 1666, there was a, a deranged man that set fire to one of the row houses, which would be very similar to an apartment complex that we have here in America today. He set fire to it, and pretty soon that fire began to sweep throughout London, and London literally burnt to the ground in about four days. And by the time that that fire had had become extinguished. The city lay in embers there. And, and here is what is remarkable about both of those men is that they were looking back into the word of God to see what was going to take place. On this Father's Day of 2020, I would think that most of you are here tonight that we would, sir, today, that we would say that, that we live in 
in treacherous times. We live in times where that our nation is literally at a point where that, that there is instability. I think that all of us probably sense that particular instability that's going on. And, and yet whenever you begin to look at it, some would cause it to think, well, it, it's a problem with politics. And some would say it's a problem with racial matters. Others would say that it is a problem with the law or the problem with the police. But the fact of the matter is this, is that Paul put his hand very clearly on the problem that we are facing in our generation today in Ephesians chapter 6 whenever he began to speak of a warfare of principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness that was in high places. If you look at it to that matter, you would almost realize that there is a puppet master that is at work. And what we are seeing is we are seeing things that are being played out in front of us. But really, it is a war, an invisible war above our heads that we are really unable to see see what is going on in the spiritual world and yet we live again in a place where that there has been a, a pandemic, not just an epidemic that was uh, concentrated to a city, but a pandemic which is spread and has covered our entire world. And, and here it is that you begin to see on this Father's Day that if ever the Lord needed some men to build an ark for their families, it is today. I dare say that any of us here in this room today are going to have a remarkable place that we will play in this world. It's highly unlikely that any of us will be political figures or figures that the world is going to look at and they're going to say that they were world changers. But I would encourage every man here today to understand this one thing that we don't have to change the world world, but what we do need to do is reach into eternity and make sure that we have an impact on eternity. The world is going to pass away. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, John writes it like this. He said that the world is literally lying in the lap of Satan right now, and so there is very little change that will take place in our world except to say that if there are men that know how to pray and know how to fast and know what is in the word of the Lord, then we can make an eternal impact not only on our families, but we can impact the world beyond that. And the greatest impact that we have is on an eternal kingdom. Don't ever forget what Jesus said whenever he told his disciples. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. It is of another place. And so men, whatever you are doing in this life, understand that your greatest priority is for you to be involved in spiritual matters and in spiritual means. I have started and forgot to start my timer, so I don't know what time I'm, how long I've been preaching. But anyways, I got the timer, and we'll start 40 minutes, and it's counting down now. So I guess you give me seven minutes on credit or ever how long that was. The text that I read to you here this morning in Genesis chapter 6, 
uh, is perhaps one of the strangest texts that we find in the scriptures. And when you start looking at Genesis chapter 6 and you go beyond just reading it for face value, there are some very ominous things that you can see there. Look with me here this morning into Genesis chapter 6 and notice here in verse number the Bible says that there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them and the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. That scripture has been debated for years, in fact probably for centuries and there are no clear cut answers, at least in my mind. There's times where I can look at it one way and then two days later I'm looking at it again in another different light. But suffice it to say that Second Peter uh, chapter two and then in the book of Jude that there is a mention of what took place in the world there in Genesis chapter six that calls the Lord to say that this world is so wicked that I am going to step in and I am going to do something about it. So obviously whatever it was that took place there. It was more than what meets the eye because it incensed God in such a way that he said, I am going to wipe out this wickedness that is here. Whenever you start find yourself being introduced there to this man by the name of Noah, he will serve as a solitary saint in Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 and then in chapter 9 and then when you get to the New Testament he's mentioned by some of the New Testament writers but you look in the book of Genesis in 11 places there are phrases where that it keys you in to a change and, and it's in some form that you see this phrase which will say these are the generations of men. You see that in Genesis 2 and 4 and in Genesis 5 and 1. You see it in chapter 6 and verse 9 and then again in chapter 10 and verse 1. We see it in 11 and 10 and then 11 and 27 and then 25, 12 and 25, 19 and 36, 1 and 36, 9 and 37, 2. Let me remind you of some of the men that are called out there. Noah obviously is one of those but men such as Jacob and Abraham, the patriarchs. And when you start realizing that these men were impacting the world, but again, it was not a physical world as much as it was an eternal world. And so Noah's story is about a man that listened to God and he preserved his family because he was willing to listen to God. We look at the life of Noah and what do we find out? Well, we find out that Noah was one of the descendants of Seth, which means that uh, he was from the godly line that would come from the Messiah. He knew about Cain and Abel. He knew how that Cain had murdered his brother because of the sacrifice that, uh, that, that Cain refused to bring. And then whenever he brought that in there, he, he began, 
begin to say, you know what? I don't like it that God has accepted Abel's sacrifice. And you know the story. It's the first murder that's recorded in the Bible. And after that took place, we find out that again, that there was someone that came along to replace Abel. And that was a young son by the name of Seth. And so that is how that Noah finds his generation there. I want to tell you today that heritage, that it matters. The heritage, whether you are a first generation or whether you are a fifth generation apostolic, the heritage that you have here today, it matters. And every one of us here in this room, those of you that may be first or second generation apostolics, don't allow the enemy to erode the importance that you have in your place in the kingdom of God because I would tell you that there can be some that would follow along behind you. It is important that we have a heritage in the kingdom of God. This past Friday, Teresa and I, we uh, had uh, our grandchildren and had all three of them which uh, sometimes is like trying to herd cats and you know about that whenever you are uh, taking care of especially all of those are, are three and less and and uh, it's amazing that you look at those children. I sometimes uh, can't even begin to think that here I am a grandfather. In your mind, you think, what in the world am I? A grandfather, a granddaddy, a, a papa, a papa, whatever they, whatever they may call you. Think, I, I can't believe that that is what I am. I still think I ought to be in my 20s or 30s, but time uh, has moved on. And so Friday, whenever... Uh, we were there and Asher started, uh, he, he come in uh, Friday morning and he had a little sword and, and uh, he got to playing around with that sword and all day long back and on and, and so forth. But uh, as the day rocked on, Asher would come in there and, and Teresa had that sword and, and he likes to watch David and Goliath and he also likes to watch Noah's Ark on Superbook and, and Veggie Tales and all that sort of thing. And so there's, there's there's a scene in one of those uh, one of those little videos and Goliath holds that sword up and uh, he says uh, uh, send me a man to fight and so Teresa would hold that sword up and tell Asher send me a man to fight and Asher had picked up a rock that I have uh, in the house there and he picked that rock up and he would when she would hold that up he'd come he'd, he'd start moving toward her and he was like turning that rock in slow motion and then he would come up there and he would just kind of barely touch her on her forehead and she'd fall over like she was Goliath and uh, he was doing that to her and doing that to me okay but uh, the reason that I'm bringing that in here this morning is that rock uh, that Asher had in his hand. He, he didn't realize where it comes from. He's too young now to know but that rock I got it about 10 years ago. In fact, it was 10 years ago that I got that rock. Whenever Bishop G.A. Mangan passed away, I was unable to go to the funeral, but I watched it online. And as they began to go at the end of the funeral through the receiving line, I had a friend of mine that pastors in Oakdale, Louisiana, Brother Tim Kelly, and, and uh, I saw that Brother Anthony Mangan was passing out a rock to every person that came by. They were putting a rock 
in their hands. And so I told Tim, I sent him a text, and I said, Tim, whenever you go through that line, tell Brother Mangan that I want one of those rocks. And so he asked Brother Mangan, he said, Philip wants one of those rocks. And so Brother Mangan gave him uh, one of those rocks. And Asher, that's the rock that Asher was playing with. There would be another time a little bit later on that I went to Alexandria with Nathan and Stephen Kovac and Brother Mangan took us outside. There's a little memorial that they have for uh, Bishop G.A. Mangan outside and he picked up a rock out of that little area and gave one to Nate and gave one to Stephen. But, but here is what that rock means, that there is a heritage that is involved in that. And Asher at three years old doesn't realize that what he was holding in his hand was in honor of one of the old apostolic bishops. I'm gonna tell you, Pentecostals, spirit-filled people are different from any other generation. Our roots go back to Acts chapter two. They go back to people that were born of the spirit and there has to be that same connection of heritage in this generation that you better do everything you can to pass it on to the next generation that comes along. It's not a mistake that Noah built his boat out of gopher wood like he did. It was because there was a godly heritage that was somewhere in his background. And I would be foolish to tell you today that I get through my life with my own spiritual uh, uh, strength or whatever you want to call it. I am no fool whenever I tell you that that would be a foolish thing for people to say whether I say it or whether you say it. But there's times where that there are spiritual victories that I experience in my life that they didn't come from yesterday or 10 years ago but they came from beyond the grave. It's grandparents. It's parents. It's in-laws. It's people that have been serving the Lord for long periods of time that what have they done? They have added to the heritage. Men, there's got to be something about it that you've got to realize in this life that you are building something and that you better make sure that whenever you get the tools in your hands, that whether you're a father or whether you're a grandfather, that every time you pick up a tool, I want you to think about the fact that as a father or a grandfather that you are building something that is going to last and it's going to be beyond just this generation. It's going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, if the Lord tarries, me and we are building something in our generation. And if ever their God needed builders, if the Lord ever needed men to step back and live up to their responsibility, it is today. It's now. It's now. Why don't we lift our hands and lift our voices to the Lord right now? name of the Lord in the name of Jesus
In the name of Jesus, you're important, men. It's crucial that you are a man of God. And I'm not talking about somebody that stands behind the pulpit, but I'm speaking to you about being a man of God in your family and in your home. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want to camp out on this and just in passing, and that's this. His heritage is not good enough. You see what it says? It says he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, which means that he was actively looking for that. It Will it come? Will the Holy Ghost come to you? Will there be revelation and wisdom and knowledge that comes to you in your life? Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you, it comes to those that are seeking and that are looking forward to it. I'm alarmed in this generation whenever I see men that don't value an apostolic church like they ought to. This church is the greatest thing in the world. Your job isn't. I would even say that your family, it is crucial that you be a man of God so that the Lord can build your family. And the only way for us to really gather in that is for us to realize that we need the grace of God. We need the salvation of the Lord. I, I, I just be honest with you, I enjoyed listening to Brother Justin preach that message last Sunday night whenever he started walking through all of those scriptures about what Calvary has done in my life and what Calvary has done in your life because the grace grace of God. It is the beginning that helps us to move forward, but you start looking at what God did in Noah's life. Noah continued, or the Lord continued to work there in Noah's life, and then he got to a point. He said, okay, I've got this man that I've called. He said, now what I've got to do is I have got to use that call to help him to see that it is important that he do something right and that he build an ark. And the Bible tells us about the wickedness of that age it was so incredible it's important for us to understand here today that if you're going to do the will of God that there's times where that the task and the calling is going to be mind bending and you're going to say oh my Lord I'm not going to be able to do that how am I going to raise a family in this generation and I uh, looked uh, last Sunday night at Patrick and Melissa and they've got that new baby that they had here and you start thinking oh my Lord, what are we doing bringing children in to this world? You would think that it is monumental of challenge that would be in their lives. And, and Melissa, come in right now, just the right time, bringing that little old baby in. And you start realizing that you know what? That if the Lord could preserve families in Genesis 6, if he could preserve families at the turn of the century back when the church, the first century, when the church was alive, then the Lord can still preserve children and families in this generation. It doesn't matter what direction or how they try to redefine marriage. It doesn't matter how that they may try to redefine children. The fact of the matter is this, is that if we look to the word of the Lord and we are locked into the spirit of God, then the Lord will help us to fulfill our cause. And so the Lord 
is calling men to build families. He's calling you to be committed in your marriage. He's calling for you to honor your parents. He's calling for you to reach the lost. He's calling for you to learn how to pray. But all of those matters are going to be hard things that if you do them, especially over a long period of time. It's important that we have, as Eugene Peterson said, a long obedience in the same direction. And I know there's times where people's like, oh my Lord, we're, we're bored with what's going on. We're bored with the routine. We always come in here and do the same old thing. We sing the same songs. We pray the same time. Uh, we, we, we preach. We have an altar service and then we all go home and do, here's what you're missing. Brother, Brother Harold said it like this in Bridge City. He said, it's hard to improve on three songs an offering, a sermon, and an altar call. He said, it's hard to improve on that. And here's what you're gonna realize that whenever you get on your deathbed or you get to the place where we can't come to church, you'll start realizing, you know what, these times that in the routine, there were things the Lord was building into my heart and into my spirit that I didn't even realize. And yet, if you do it weekly, what the enemy wants you to do is to get bored with what you're doing. Because here's the deal. If he can get you bored with church, he'll get you bored with your family. He'll get you bored with your marriage. He'll get you bored with your children. He'll get you bored with your job. And then the next thing you know, there'll be landmines. He starts laying out in your path and the temptation of that and the devastation and the fallout of that. The enemy don't want you to know about that. All he wants to do is to paint it up and say, hey, you've got a right. I'm gonna tell you the only right we have is a right to praise the Lord. We ought to keep that in mind that there are boundaries and that there are parameters that are being put up in our hearts and in our lives. You know why? It's because I'm trying to build a family. I'm trying to build some kids. I'm trying to build some sons and some grandsons and I want every tool to be put in my hand that somehow is gonna help me to do what the Lord has called me to do and to build Build my family because here's the thing. If we'll build our families, the Lord will build his church. The Lord will put it together little by little and the next thing you know, your children will be saved. Your grandchildren will be saved. Why is it? It's because you are building something worthwhile that's going to last. Men, don't forget about your calling. Don't look around at the wickedness. Don't look around at the challenge and say we can't do it. Hear me out. The Lord's gonna help us to do what we need to do. Right now, the foundations of our world are literally being shaken to the core. It's almost like Psalm 2 has come to life. Psalm 2, beginning in verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. They say, let us break their bands asunder and let us cast away their cords from us. That's what this generation is doing right now. It's like the foundation is tremoring. It's like everything that they believed in 
and truth is literally falling apart right now. And they're starting to say, hey, we're moving forward. We're, we've got some strength going. But here's what the Bible says in verse four. He that sitteth in the heavens is gonna laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. There's coming a day in Proverbs one when the Lord says, I'm gonna laugh at your calamity. Man may think he's powerful now. He may think he's gonna tear down every vestige of power and strength that the Holy Ghost has built and the word stands for. But hear me, church, there's coming a time when God's gonna have the last laugh. Man may think he's getting away with it, but there's coming a time that the Lord is gonna say, I'm about to build an ark. I'm about to destroy this place. Except the second time, it's not gonna be with, with water. It's gonna be with fire. And when you start looking at what Noah did, Noah answered his call and he built that ark. And you think about this, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide. I know we think about football here, so let's translate that a little bit. Football field is 300 feet long. So the ark was linked of one football field and then half of another one. A football field, I think, is 50 feet wide. Is that right? 50 feet wide, I think it's 50 feet wide. So it's wide and then half. And then think about this. It's 45 feet high. And when you go home today, if you drive around by the medical center, you count up five windows now that's going to be somewhere around 50 feet. The ark was that tall. If you're out toward Flowers Hospital out 84, the hospital out there is six floors, so the ark would have gone up almost to the top of Flowers Hospital. And you think, how in the world did that, did that man build it? He built it under the supernatural power and strength of the Holy Ghost. When you look at this ark here, it, it, would, it would have been able to withstand waves that would roll at, at just under 90 degrees. I read to you three levels, one door, one window. And here is an interesting thing about the scoffers of Noah's art. You realize that there are even religious scholars and what's scary is, is that some of them even are among the apostolic movement that say that the Bible shouldn't start with Genesis 1, that it should start with Genesis 12. We need to take Genesis 1 through 11 out of it. Again, we go back to that failure and folly of what the serpent did in Genesis chapter 3 and said, half God's and so there are people that live in this generation and they are apostolic. Don't be surprised at that because Paul reminded the church at Ephesus in Acts 20. He said, after my departing, he said, grievous wolves are gonna come. Where are they gonna come from? They're not coming from the outside. They're coming from the inside. There are times when the biggest enemy that the devil has working for him are those that are on the inside of the church. Why? It's because we're more trusting. But hear me out. If you question the word of the Lord, I don't want to hear anything you have to say because you have fallen into the trap of what Paul said to Timothy that there will be seducing spirits, doctrines of demons that will come in. We need strong preaching in this generation. And I, I would just say this, we need preachers that know something about the word of God. 
We need preachers that study the word of God. We need preachers that are committed and disciplined to understanding the word of God. There's a time factor that is involved in getting in to the scripture. Sermons don't just happen. I, I, I say this jokingly sometimes to my kids. I, I told Justin and Nate the other day, I said, I know people just think I just cough these things up. They just, they just, I just spit them out. I'm going to tell you, it's hours that you work and you try to say, how in the world can I say it in the right way so it's going to connect with a generation the Lord needs preachers to rise up in this generation which brings me to another point that the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness he was a preacher of righteousness and the Lord called him he said Noah he said I'm going to tell you you've got to build a boat but you've also got to use your voice and it took some tenacity and some courage. He was living again in an age of great wickedness whenever there was supernatural demonic forces at work. Genesis 6 again tells us about that and God was grieved at the extent of their sin there. And so Noah is building a boat that all of the world was watching him while he was doing it. It had never rained. Think about that. It had never rained. And Noah's telling everybody, hey, it's, it's going to rain. Rain, what is rain? Goes back 25 years ago when I had a man trying to explain to me what email was. Like, what? What is email? And he spent about an hour, and I never did connect up with it. And then I went to the grocery store. And I bought a box of cereal, or Teresa bought a box of cereal, and on there it had this deal. It had a little little computer disk, floppy. Some of y'all don't even know what a floppy disk is, but all us old folks, we know what a floppy disk was. But looked on there, it says AOC, America Online, or AOL. I got, Lord, forgive me for saying that. Said AOL. What's AOL? America Online. You put it in your computer and hook it up to your phone line. And and so I, I go home. I I don't know anything about this, but I hook my phone line up to my computer. And next thing, it's cranking and churning and clicking, and you get America Online. And then bang! All of a sudden, I'm like, Wow, man! I can see what email is now. It is so far surpassed that uh, that there's times where that I, I guys will call me, and I'll be preachers who call me and say hey you got anything on such and so and if I've got my phone with me I'll just share the folder with them in Dropbox you, you start thinking how in the world could you have done that it's because of the progress of technology and here is Noah he's telling people it's going to rain rain what is rain uh, it's water falling down from the sky oh that's so funny Noah you know that the world is water because there's a mist that rises up out of the ground. You got it backwards, Noah. The rain don't come down. The mist comes up. It's never going to rain. Noah, you're, you're, you're nuts. You're crazy. You're wasting your time. You're, you're right, Brother Wells. Wasting your time. 
Oh, oh, you, you're here to tell me that your church is so exclusive that you say, except the man be born of water and spirit, then they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You're telling me that you have to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and then receive the Holy Ghost. You're telling me that you've got to live a lifestyle of holiness and separation from the world. You're telling me that you have to pray. You're telling me that I need to come to church and listen to some preacher preach. Come on, Philip. It's 2020. You need to get off of that. And I can stand up on top of this pulpit right now and tell you that the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And we have got to be prepared because it's not just affecting me. It's affecting you and it's affecting your families and so what do you do just keep on building Jesus spoke about the conditions of Noah's day in Matthew 24 and 37 here's what he says he said but as the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of the son of man be for as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away and so shall also the coming of the son of man be men if there ever needed to be a time that you needed to stand up and put every bit of the expertise that you have in your spiritual life it ought to be today you ought to be committed to prayer you ought to be committed to showing up in this church and can I throw it out we hardly ever talk about it but I'm going to tell you when you pay your tithes what are you doing you're buying in you're building your city and you're building your family and you're helping your family to realize, hey, we are doing something that is gonna be involved in a heritage. I want my children saved. I want my wife saved. I want my grandchildren saved. But I don't just want them saved. I want you saved. I want your family saved. Men, build yourself an ark. Build yourself an ark. Build yourself an ark. But you know what? You need to call your own family to righteousness as well. What do you mean, Dad? We can't watch this. Well, what do you mean, Dad? We we can't go to this particular place. What, what do you mean dad we can't hang out with these people? Listen to me right now for those of us or those of you that are raising children that are at a younger age it's not time for you to be their buddy. You, you can be their buddy later on. Right now what they need is a parent. I know it's not Mother's Day but I saw somebody say Everybody all right? I saw a video clip here the other day of a mother and her son thought he was going to get out and get involved in some of this stuff. And she, ladies don't do this, but she put a good cussing on him and then took a belt out and got to working on him. And I saw that on, it was a, it was a, a sounds like some of y'all saw it too. 
You know what? It, it, when, when they're little like that, it's not time for you to be their buddy. You can be their buddy when they get to be 25 or 30. Looking at some pictures the other day here a few months ago, a year, a little over a year ago, and Justin and I have been twice. We've flown out to Los Angeles together for a conference out there hanging out with Justin talking about some things that, that whenever I was, whenever he was a kid, I know he probably thought he had the meanest mother and the meanest dad in the world. But listen to me. Right now, while they're small, you need to build your art. And if you hurt their little old feelings, they'll get over it. They'll figure out about the time they turn 20. Hey, my mom and dad was looking out for my best interest. Come on, Men, we need to build a boat. Second Peter chapter two and verse five, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Do you hear that? He was a preacher of righteousness. And men, sometimes grandfathers, fathers, sometimes if your kids won't hear Brother Patterson's voice or hear my voice, if you will stand up and echo some of the things that your pastors are saying then 10 years from now we'll think oh my lord I'm so glad that I didn't waffle I'm so glad I didn't ease up I can look back now at some of the decisions that my parents made for me whenever I didn't have enough sense to be making them for myself and I am so glad they made those decisions for me because my dad was building an ark and when everything was all said and done, here's, what's, here's where the church growth experts, they love to bring this up and they use it mockingly. Yeah, but Noah only saved his family. He only saved eight. He just saved eight. Exactly right. Save the world. And there's got to be something about us, brethren. And do we want to we want to reach everybody we can? But I'm just going to tell you this, the spiritual health that's the most important thing. I want us to stand here this morning. When Noah's family came off the ark into that newly cleansed world, they looked around in awe at all of that. And I got a feeling that Noah was probably pretty emotional. Because he started realizing, save my family. If you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're a grandfather, I'd like for you to step out of where you're sitting right now. And I want you to step up around this altar. I want to make sure that I put one of these in every one of your hands if you hadn't got one. Some of these other men are going to help me pass them out. I want you to get one of these tools in your hand. Every time when you see this, I want you to think about I'm building. I'm working. 
mad and too. If I run out, y'all can open up some of these other. Everybody got one. Y'all are the most important men in the city of Dothan right now. And I mean that. I know there was a lot of excitement last night in Tulsa. But, but listen to me. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House, whether it's a Republican, whether it's a Democrat. Here's what we have to keep in mind. If the Lord preserved his church in the first century when they were dealing with some of the most horrific Caesars and emperors, some of the most violent men, that if the Lord preserved that church, he can preserve this one. And don't get distracted, men. Don't, don't, don't take your eye off the ball. Your most important relationship is, is with God and then it's with your wife and then it's with your children and then it's with your local church because the Lord needs men to build arks. And I just want you to lift, lift your hands right now to the Lord and I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, I'm asking you today Help me to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. 